Hey, good morning. Let's open our Bibles, Genesis chapter 22, 22, 2-2. Uh, I emailed uh, uh, Rosa Ornelas, we talked about her last week, and let her know that we were behind her and we wanted to send something to her, and she was so grateful, and she just said that uh, she, she was so thankful for our support, not just gifts, but prayer, and she said that uh, it was, you know, that God was giving her peace in the middle of all this very uh, difficult storm. For those of you who don't remember, her house burned down there in Arizona, and so she's kind of in the middle of trying to navigate all that, so very difficult. So let's sort of pick it up where we left off. We talked last week about Sarah and uh, the faith and the journey that she was on. And previous to that, we talked about uh, Abraham and, and his journey and his faith. And uh, Sarah is just a beautiful picture, really, of, of Sarah that, you know, she, she had her own walk. She had her own uh, life with God, and, and she trusted God. And it said there in, in uh, Hebrews that, she judged him, that is God faithful, who had promised. So she just believed that God was faithful. And, and in the end, that's really what the bottom line is, that God is faithful. Even, the scripture says, even when we are faithless, he remains faithful because he can't deny himself. It's just who he is. And so God is faithful. And, and we looked at some of the scriptures there uh, about God's faithfulness, and we didn't even scratch the surface, really, but the fact that he's faithful to the very end, he's, he's faithful to take care of us in temptation. Uh, I was reminded, 1 John chapter 1, verse 9, says, if we confess our sins, he's faithful and just what? To forgive us our sins and purify us from all unrighteousness. So, so, God was faithful in the middle of all the things of life. And again, they were, they were two human beings just like you and I and faced you know, the, the, the struggles and the trials and, and the things of this life. And yet God proved himself faithful over and over and over again. And I want to just tell you that, that that's who God is. He's faithful with you. He's faithful with me just as he was faithful uh, you know, many hundreds and thousands of years ago, really, uh, with this couple, Abraham and Sarah. Today, chapter 22, this is a, this is a, a test, really, and, and I, I kind of call it the test of faith, though there's so many other facets to this, a very poignant account of what happened with this man, Abraham. So, Let's pick it up there in chapter 22, verse 1. It says, sometime later, some things have, have transpired, and, and it says, Sometimes, sometime later, God tested Abraham. And he said to him, Abraham, here I am, Abraham replied. Sometime later, God tested Abraham. Notice that he... He calls him by name. This isn't, this isn't a, a general test. This isn't like for everybody. This is specifically for him. And God deals, I believe, with us individually, personally. 
and he called him by name. This, this testing, we're going to talk about testing today, it was specifically tailored for, for Abraham. It wasn't for anybody else. It wasn't for me. It wasn't for you. It was tailored for him. And I think God knows that uh, for each one of us, he has to deal with us in a very personal way. Moses, uh, excuse me, Abraham, his response, what did he respond when God called him, God spoke to him, called him by name? Abraham's response was, here I am. And you say, well, that's, the, so what? what? What's the big deal with that? Well, you know, that isn't always our response, is it? Sometimes our response is, we got to go the other way and get as far away as we can. But he says, here I am. Moses, same kind of thing. God spoke to him. He says, here I am. Samuel, response as a young boy, says, here I am. God, what is it you want to say? Speak to me. Isaiah. God called Isaiah, and, and, God, and Isaiah's re response was, here am I, send me. Do what you want to do with me. So what is it that God says to Abraham here in verse 2? God said, take your son, your only son, Isaac, whom you love, and go to the region of Moriah. Sacrifice him there as a burnt offering on one of the mountains that I will tell you about. This is like, whoa. This is the son of promise, you remember, the, the one that they had waited so long for. You know, 25 years when God said to Abraham, you know, leave your family, leave uh, your home, go to the place I'm going to show you about. 25 years later, Isaac is born. Now Isaac, they, they're not totally sure exactly how many years old he was, but probably... So let's say between 20 and 25 years old. So he, they've been together now for another 20, 25 years. So this is like, you know, 40 to 45, 50 year uh, relationship and, and the, the hoping and then the growing up of, of this young man. And now, and, and this is the one that God said that, you know, your future is going to be through this one, through laughter. That was what his name meant. Now, I mean, you could read it like that too. You know, go take your only son, your only take your son, your only son, laughter, and go and sacrifice him. I don't think there was a whole lot of laughter happening in this particular situation, right? God was testing him though, and 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 He's asking him to offer him up. And this is, I think, this is probably the supreme test of all tests: to take this child, take the one of your very own kids and, and offer him up. Now, he says to offer him as a burnt offering, and if you study, you know, through the, the law and they talk about burnt offerings and what they are, there's different kinds of offerings. They all kind of point in one direction, of, of course, to, to Jesus being the Lamb of God, but, but there were different kinds of offerings, sin offering, peace offering, fellowship offering, offering. But the burnt offering was basically put it on there and burn it completely up. So it was like all in. It was like total dedication. And so he's saying, now I want you to take him and I want you to offer him up. Total dedication. All completely put it on the altar. You say, wow. 
Okay, you read the story, but you, you kind of have to add all the rest of the, of the uh, situation here that, that what, what is this that God is now asking him to do? This is the testing of God. That's what it says in verse 1. God tested Abraham. God was doing this. It wasn't anyone else. It was something that God was doing in his life. Now, this word test here or excuse me, in the, in, in the New Testament, it's used in two different ways, which is kind of interesting. It, it, it's the word perazo, and, it, and it, it means to ascertain the quality or, you know, to determine how you will think or how you will act. But it's also used, translated as tempt. That's why in some versions you see, the, you see these used, you see the different translations. But, but someone said this, that Satan tempts us to make us fall, but God tests us to confirm our faith. With God, the testing of our faith, he's asking us, will you trust me? Will you obey me? And back in the book of, of Deuteronomy, it says this, that Remember how the Lord your God led you all the way in the wilderness these 40 years to humble and test you. Why? In order to know what was in your heart, whether or not you would keep his commands. There's a lot of different reasons God tests us, but, but, and, and we'll just mention a few of them. But this one here, he says he wants to, he wants to know what is in our hearts. Now, is that because he doesn't know? God wants to say, well, I wonder what, you know, Rich is going to do. How is he? How, let me just test him to see what he's going to do, what's really there inside of him. No, he already knows. So whose benefit is it for? It's for us. But we get so, we get so you know, upset. God, why are you doing this to me? And, and, but yet God is doing it. He's got a purpose in mind. He's got, he's got purposes to, to show us what, what is in our hearts, whether or not we really will trust him and do what he says. Will you trust me? Will you obey me? Pastor Chuck said this, that, that he wants to show us how real or how shallow our faith is. That's, ooh, my faith? Do I really want to know how deep or how shallow it is? Is, it, is my faith, you know, is it, you know, I'm one of those one-inch Christians where my, my faith is about one inch deep. You read about that in the parable of the sower. I just read it the other day, and I read about it. Someone was talking about it, you know, where, you know, there, there wasn't much soil. In other words, it was very shallow, and when, when stuff started happening, they, they kind of, you know, fell away. How deep is my faith? How deep is your faith? God allows and brings these testings into our lives for, for us to know, like, do, do we really trust him? Do, do you really have a real faith? Is it, or is it just you go to church? Because going to church is good. Don't misunderstand me. I, I want you to come. <laughs> I don't like speaking to an empty room. But 
the, the bottom line is, do you, is your faith and your walk, is it, is it real? Is it genuine? And is it deep? I think that the testings of God, not only, they, they, not only do they show us where we are, but they also, they also force us to, to dig a little bit deeper, right? They, they deepen our faith, the trials that we go through. Nobody likes them. I don't like them. And no, no one really likes them. But God tests us in many, many different ways. Pastor Chuck said this too. He says, that, that God said and asked Abraham, will you hold anything back from me? Will, will you hold anything back from me, Abraham? Will you, even, even, Abra, even Isaac, your, your one son that you really, really love? I think sometimes we have a lot of stuff and, and people and different things, and we'll give this to God and that to God, but no, don't touch that. I'm, uh, that's mine. But God goes to Abraham, he asks him for, for the very, the best, the most important thing that he had. I was just thinking about that and, and thinking, going through my mind, well, uh, I give you this and I, and I give you that, and, and do I really give you all of it, everything? Now, now David Guzik pointed this out about this situation because it, it is... There is a tension that's happening here. Abraham, he says, is confronted with a promise and a command from God which seem to contradict each other. Right? He's, he's got this promise that his future is going to be through Isaac. But now he's got a command to offer up Isaac. But it says that he obeyed the command and let God take care of the promise. And, and that's really what we need to do. We need to just obey. Let God take care of how that's going to work out. We say, well, God, I don't see how that can ever work out. It doesn't make sense to me at all. So I'm not going to do it. And how far does that go? How far does that get us? Not very. But to say, I, I trust you and I'm going to obey you. And that's what Proverbs 3, 5, and 6 says, right? Lean not on your own understanding. Right? Acknowledge Him in all your ways. He'll direct your paths. You know, trust in the Lord with all your heart. Verse 3, let's move on. It says, Earlier the next morning, Abraham, he got up <clears throat> and he saddled his donkey and he took with him two of his servants and his son Isaac. And when he had cut enough wood for the burnt offering, he set out for the place that God had told him about. Notice it says early the next morning, he didn't say, well, let me, let me pray about that. <laughs> we do that, right? We feel like, you know, God's word is saying, you know, this is what you need to do or not do. And then we say, well, I'm going to pray about that. And, but that's not what, what Abraham did. It says early the next morning, he, he got everything ready. Let's go. We got a trip. And they set out for this place that God had told them about, and we, we saw that uh, it, it is in the region of Mount Moriah, the region of these hills of, really, the, the hills of Jerusalem. And, and he went there. Now, this is about 50 miles. He was at the time in Beersheba, or Beersheba, as our Bibles uh, translate it. But it's Beersheba. 
and it's about a 50-mile trip. And it was going to take, we'll see, it takes three days. You can drive there in about an hour and a half from Beersheba to Jerusalem. But this is a three-day trip now. How many of us would take a three-day trip to do something as radical as this, knowing what the cost would be? Say, well, let me pray about that. Let me think about it. Let me get myself ready. Let me, let me, let me, let me. Verse 4, on the third day, Abraham looked up and he saw the place in the distance. He looked up and he saw the place in the distance. What would you and I do? We've been traveling for three days with the sun and the, the sun that we love. And now three days later, we're, we're almost there. You look up and he sees it. How would he, what would he be thinking? How, what would he be feeling at that? And he's, again, he's, he's not a robot. He's a, a, a breathing, thinking, feeling human being, just like you and I, just like Elijah. And he looks up and he sees that now. But look what he says in verse 5. He said to his servants, he had some servants there with him, he said, stay here with the donkey while I and the boy go over there. We will worship. And then, notice this, we will come back to you. That, this is radical, this thing that's happening here. Notice he says, I and the boy, we're going to go over there, and what are we going to do? We are going to worship. Well, what did God ask them to do? He asked them to offer up this son, and, and yet this sacrifice in the very test of it, in the middle of all of it, there was, Abraham saw it as worship. Well, no, worship is when we sing those songs on Sunday morning. That's what worship is. Is that, is that all worship is to you and me? If it is, we're, we're missing out on a whole bunch. I enjoy the songs. Believe me, I play the songs. I, I, I'm part of worship in that sense, but, but that's just part of it. The sacrifice, the cost. Someone said that true worship is costly. I read, I read uh, in First Chronicles where, you know, David, David, he, and it was his own fault. He got, you know, his head got swollen up. He did some things he wasn't supposed to do, and it affected the whole nation of Israel. Like 70,000 people, I think, had died because of decisions that he had made. But God told him, he says, I want you to build an altar. And, and so he, he, he went to this guy who had this particular spot of, of land up. And again, this is in Jerusalem. And he says, I want to buy this this land from you, and, and the guy said, no, I'll give it to you. You're the king, and I'll just give it to you. And what did David say? He said, I, I don't want anything, and I'm not going to worship in any way unless I have to pay the price. He wouldn't offer, he said, that which costs him nothing. He wouldn't offer that which cost him nothing. Wow. This was a costly sacrifice for Abraham, wasn't it? But, but again, what did he say? He said, then we will come back to you. 
There's something going on in this, the heart and the mind of, of Abraham. Uh, I'm going to read from Hebrews chapter 11, uh, our, again, our template for our study through these Old Testament characters. But Hebrews chapter 11, verse 17 through 19, this is what it says about this particular account. It says, By faith Abraham, when God tested him, he offered Isaac as a sacrifice. And he who had received the promises was about to sacrifice his one and only son, even though God had said to him, It is through Isaac that your offspring will be reckoned. But Abraham reasoned, this is, this is what Abraham was thinking, that God could raise the dead. And figurative, figuratively speaking, he did receive Isaac back from death. Abraham, he was all in. He just said, you know what, I'm going to do it. You know, that God, if this is what God wants, God can raise the dead. God can take care of it. God can do anything he wants to do. After all, he, you know, that, that Abraham had seen and all he'd been through, he's now 125, 130 years old. He just believed that God could raise him, that God would raise him. But, but even so, do you, do you think for a moment that it was difficult for him? These testings of God, they're not easy. The, the things that we face in this life... And sometimes, as I said earlier, Satan is tempting and testing us to, to, to fall, but God is testing us to show what kind of character, what kind of faith, what kind of people that we really are, how shallow, how deep we really are. Verse 6, it says that Abraham, he took the wood for the burnt offering, and he placed it on his son Isaac, and he himself carried the fire and the knife. And as the two of them went on together, Isaac spoke up and he said to his father, Father Abraham, Father? Yes, my son, Abraham replied. And Isaac said, The fire and the wood are here, but where is the lamb for the burnt offering? It's a good question. We're going up here. He told them we're going to go up there and worship. We're going to, we're going to, you know, we've got wood, we've got fire, we've got everything we need, but, but Isaac now... They're, they're almost there, and he's going like, where's the, where's the lamb for the burnt offering? I mean, how can you even have a conversation here in this situation? You know, what, how does Abraham respond to that? Is it, do you think there's any emotion going on here? You know, the trials that we face, the testings that we face, sometimes they're going to have a whole lot of emotion But our faith has got to go deeper than emotion. That's why I was reading about this, uh, uh, this, the parable of the sower. And, you know, when we're, when we're very shallow, that's all we deal with is emotion and, and just how we feel about a certain situation. But faith has got to go deeper than that. I, you know, I've been thinking about this recently, like, you know, I'll feel this way and feel that way, and I'm just going, God, like, they're just feelings. Sometimes we equate our feelings, and the only thing that we think God speaks to us through is our feelings. But a lot of times, those are just our feelings. 
That's not really God saying that. That's not really, we need, to, we need to go deeper than that. We need to hold on to God's word despite what our feelings are like because they will mislead you. How many times have your feelings misled you? You had this, you know, emotional response to the loss and then you find out it wasn't even the way you thought it was. Can you always trust your own feelings? Abraham, he, he just, he went on. He said, he said uh, in verse 8, he said, God himself will provide the lamb for the burnt offering, my son. And the two of them went on together and they, they continued on. He says God himself. And, and I like the way some translations say that God will provide himself. Because really, this whole picture here that we have is really looking ahead to Jesus. To find Jesus in the Old Testament, this is one of the prime spots, accounts, that, that, that show a father giving, willing to offer up his son. We're going to have communion here in just a few minutes. This is what's happening here. We see it here that, that the wood was put onto Isaac, right? Jesus had the wood, the cross, put onto his shoulders as well, didn't he? God will provide. The ultimate, the ultimate fulfillment is certainly Jesus. The two of them went on together. Verse 9, when they reached the place that God had told him about, Abraham built an altar there. We've talked earlier about him. He's building these altars, right? Abraham would build these altars and, and, and place of worship, places of surrender, places of prayer. Places of sacrifice. He'd build these altars out in these different places. He got there up to the top of Mount Moriah. And he built this altar. He arranged the wood on it. He bound his son Isaac. And he laid him on the altar on top of the wood. And then he reached out his hand and he took the knife to slay his son. He bound his son and he laid him on the altar. Wow. This isn't just, you know, something extra that he had that he, oh, it doesn't matter if I get rid of This was his one and only true son, the son of promise, the son that he loved, and he was willing to put him on the altar. I have to ask, you know, what do you, what do I need to lay on that altar? What do we need to just to go all in just to put it on the altar and let God take care of it? You say, well, I don't really have anything. I think you do. I know you do. We all do. What do you and I need to lay on that altar? He reached out his hand. He took the knife to slay him. But, but, but it says in verse 11, the angel of the Lord called out to him from heaven. Abraham, Abraham, two times by name here. And Abraham responds in the same way. He's got this consistent response to the Lord. He says, here I am. Wow. I wonder if there's any difference in the, you know, the voice there from the first time when God just said, just called him. And, and the beginning of all this, he says, Abraham, he says, here I am. And now he says, Abraham, Abraham, he's in the middle of this 
very intense emotion situation. And he says, here I am. Was it, was it like intensely emotional or was it like just completely surrendered? He says, here I am. I wonder. I wonder about you and I. What are our responses like? He says, do not lay a hand on the boy. Do not do anything to him. Now I know that you fear God because you have not withheld from me your son, your only son. Don't lay a hand on him. Don't do anything. Now I know that you fear God because you, you haven't held, withheld him the very best you had. You haven't kept it for yourself. You gave it over to me. Someone def- defines fearing God as this, to reverence Him as sovereign, to trust Him implicitly, to obey Him without question. Moses said in Exodus chapter 20, he says, don't be afraid, God has come to test you so that the fear of God will be with you to keep you from sinning. Another purpose of this the testing of God, that, that we would know Him as sovereign and Lord and trust Him and obey Him without question. One commentator said this, and I, I think I, I agree with this. He says, God never intended Abraham to slay his son. It was a test of his faith and willingness to obey. Sometimes God will test us. Are we willing to put it all up in there and then He'll give it back to us? But sometimes he, he just wants it and, he, and he's going to take it. In this particular case, he didn't. Why? Because of the future fulfillment, I believe, in God sending his son, Jesus Christ, to be the sacrifice for our sins. Verse 13, Abraham, he looked up. And there in a thicket, he saw a ram caught by its horns. He went over and he took the ram and he sacrificed it as a burnt offering And notice this, what it says here. This is very important. He says, instead of his son. He sacrificed this ram instead of his son. Instead of, in in other words, a substitution. Not his son, but the ram instead of. That's a very important concept, very important uh, for us to understand the, the concept of substitution, that Jesus is a substitution for you and I. He died in my place. He was the substitute for you. The ram for Isaac and Jesus for you and for me. Verse 14, so Abraham called that place. The Lord will provide. And to this day, it is said on the mountain of the Lord, it will be provided. He called that place, the Lord will provide. Well, what that, what that uh, translate is really, it's, it's one of these compound names of God. We've heard it, Jehovah Jireh. That's what this is here. That, and there's like seven of those. Jehovah Rapha, the Lord, my healer. Jehovah, Jehovah Nisi, the Lord, my banner. Jehovah Shalom, the Lord, my peace. Jehovah Rohi, the Lord, my shepherd. Psalm 23. Jehovah Tzidkenu, our righteousness. And Jehovah Shama, the Lord is present. God will provide. 
The Lord will provide. In the very depths of this situation, the most difficult situation I think that Abraham had ever faced, and again, in his 125 or so years, God provided for him. God provided for him. That's a whole other message, isn't it? Will God provide for you? Is God faithful enough to take care of you? Your situation changes and you lose your job or, or you have to you know, move and you don't know how you're going to provide for yourself. Will God provide? He says on the mountain of the Lord, where the need was. Where was the need? He didn't provide back in Beersheba. He provided where? Up on Mount Moriah. That's where the need was. That's where they ended up. That's when he provided. The Lord will provide. Let's wrap this up in verse 15. It says, The angel of the Lord called to Abraham from heaven a second time. And this is what he said. I swear by myself, declares the Lord, that because you have done this and have not withheld your son, your only son, I will surely bless you and make your descendants as numerous as the stars in the sky and as the sand on the seashore. Your descendants will take possession of the cities of their enemies and through your offspring, all nations on earth will be blessed. Why? Because you have obeyed me. Notice, he says, I swear by myself, declares the Lord. In other words, the angel of the Lord, this was God himself uh, speaking to Abraham. They call it a theophany where God is appearing himself. Some believe it might have even been Jesus appearing to Abraham. God the Son. But he says, you know what? I'm going to bless you. I'm going to bless you. And, 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 I, and I think it's also true that, that blessings have come to us when we obey. When we do what God says to do, when we do what God wants us to do, he will, he will bless us. He, and that's just the way he is. Now, we don't do these things to get blessings. Abraham wasn't doing it to say, well, if I do this, then God, you know, is going to have to bless me. We, we hear that, you know, the, the faith preachers, well, you know, you, if you give money to our ministry, God will bless you 30, 60, 100 fold, and that's why you need to give. Abraham wasn't thinking like that. Abraham just wanted to obey. He just wanted to obey. But because he obeyed, God says, I'm just going to bless you. Verse 19, then Abraham returned to his servants and they set off, him and Isaac, just like he said, we'll come, we're going to come back to you, we. And they set off for Beersheba and Abraham stayed in Beersheba. The testings of God. James talks about it. Jesus', Jesus is half-brother, he says the, the trial or the testing of your faith what produces what? patience or perseverance. God says in, in Deuteronomy, the Lord, your God is testing you to find out whether you love him with all your heart and with all your soul. Now again, I, I'm the first one to say I really don't like tests. I really don't like the testings that God brings my way. And, and uh, they seem, you'd think, you think, you know, the longer you become a believer, well, then he doesn't need to test you so much anymore. Well, that, I don't think that is true. 
heck, maybe it's the other, maybe it's the opposite of that. Abraham's now, he's, you know, 100, he's still going to live another 50 years, but, but he's, he's, you know, he's getting up there in age and God's still testing him. Until we get home, I think we can say, you know what, there's going to be tests in this life and God's going to find out. Do you love me? It's like the husband, the wife says to her husband, do you love me? And he says, yeah, of course I love you, you know that. Then why, do you, why are you such a jerk? No. <laughs> why do you treat me like that? This is a test. To find out whether you love him with all your heart, with all your soul. That was the, was the greatest command. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, with all your strength. That's the bottom of the first commandment, the most important thing in life. And second, love your neighbor as yourself. He says he's testing you. The psalmist said this, For you, O God, tested us. You refined us like silver. And he's, he's, he's referring to this testing process where with metals they would put them under the fire, right, to test them, to see how, how pure they were. And then they would take off the, you know, the dross, the, the stuff that, that, that really wasn't part of the gold or the silver. And that's sometimes what happens to us. He goes on to say, you brought us into prison. You laid burdens on our backs. You let men ride over our heads. We went through fire and water but you brought us to a place of abundance. None of those things sound like nice things, right? But God tested them and, and brought them out into a place of abundance, and he'll do the same with us. So let's trust him. The psalmist goes on to say, I will come to your temple. This is Psalm 66, by the way. I will come to your temple with burnt offerings and fulfill my vows to you. Vows my lips promised and my mouth spoke when I was in trouble. In the middle of the testing and trial, he said, okay, if you get me through this, I'll do this and I'll do that. And we, we do that. I, it's true. One more quote. We're running out of time here. Larry Richards, the Bible teacher, he said this, there comes a time in each of our lives when God will test us, the test of full surrender, to give up our heart's desire and surrender all. To give up our heart's desire and send it, surrender all. You know, we faced this, I faced it personally many, many years ago when, when our kids were growing up. Difficult, very hard to let them go. Those of you that have kids, you know what I'm talking about. Hard to let them go and they get to a certain age and, and that. But uh, I wrote a song about it. I, sometimes I call it Abraham's song. Come, sometimes I call it something else. But we're gonna, Chris is going to play that for you right now. I, I have it recorded and then we're going to have communion together. But what is it in your life? Maybe it's your whole life just to offer it up to God. Maybe there's certain things that you're kind of holding back. He said, you know, you have done this, God said to Abraham, and you have not withheld your son, your only son.
John said this, this is love, not that we loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son as an atoning sacrifice for our sins. That's the substitute that we're talking about. He sent his son as an atoning sacrifice for our sins, for my sin, for your sins. And we have seen and testify that the Father has sent his son to be the Savior of the world. Let's pray. Father, thank you for sending your son Jesus. He gave his life. You sent him to be the sacrifice for my sin, to take my place. Lord, we thank you for that, Lord, and, and that's what true love really is. So we remember the cross. We remember where Jesus, his body was brutally tortured and put upon that cross for us, for me. And we remember that. We remember his death until he returns because of what he did for us. Let's partake of the bread.